morning, everybody. Uh, welcome, especially if you're a first-time guest. My name is Darren, senior leader here. Honored to be able to bring the word of the Lord to you today. We are kicking off a new series called History Makers. And we're going to be in this series leading up to Easter Sunday weekend. Where we're going to look at the greatest name in history, Jesus. And it's going to be an incredible time. And I want to encourage you to do two things. You'll see right over here to the left as you look this way. You're right, actually. There's a prayer board, and we want to start praying now for people that God's placed on your heart that are the future history makers of tomorrow. And we want to fill and load that board up with prayer requests. We're actually going to be starting next Sunday, starting to pray for these people on that board here in our ministry centers. We close out our services, and our Tuesday night intercessors are going to be praying for them as well. And so this is really important. And then what we want to do is we want to believe God to really see something happen in their life as it relates to breakthrough. Now, we were singing about breakthrough this morning, but what I'm excited to say to you is, is that we already are working from a position of breakthrough. Jesus has already broken through. So we're not contending for some breakthrough that is to come. It's already a starting place for us, for us right? He's dismantled all the powers of darkness and made space for people that have the purpose and opportunity to come into this kingdom for such a time as this. And all we have to do is agree with it. Like just come in and say, hey, listen, these people, God, are your kids destined to walk in this purpose. And so let's begin to pray. Fill that, that board with tons of names. We're going to start to pray for these ones because they're future history makers as well. So here's what we're going to do just to explain the series. We're going to look at some people that lived in a time in human history. And I don't want us to get enamored with these people because there's a lot of times we, uh, I don't know, we just kind of get out of, uh, out of uh, a healthy, healthy reality as, as we look at people that have done great things. When at the end of the day, it was the grace of God for someone who simply just said yes that was just like you and I. Just like us. People just like us in this room that, that really changed the world. And so there's ways that we can change the world if we just see Man, that God is not looking for, you know, the, the, the most equipped or, or, or skilled, but he's looking for someone who's available and just will take what's in their hands and say, God, I'll be faithful to use what you've given me. And you never know what the Lord could do with that. So we're going to jump into the series. I want to look at Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. I, I want to read this because talking about Jesus being the greatest name, we're called to, to as history makers, carry this name into the spaces that God has given us access to in our spheres of influence. But look what the writer of Matthew says. He says, look my servant who I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. So there's pleasure from the Father in Jesus. And he says, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim, what does it say? Justice to the nations. I don't know about you, my wife is super black and white, so she is all about justice. And I believe justice is really on the heart of the Lord. You know, last night we were walk, watching a documentary on what's happening to children all, of, all over the world through these sex trafficking rings. And I was just like, ah, I was grieved in my spirit because I was thinking that is so unjust. These innocent children, you know. But there's... The Spirit of God that was placed upon Jesus that's going to bring justice to the nations, to all the people groups of the world. But it's not just about God putting His Spirit on Jesus. He's putting His Spirit upon you and me. 
Jesus was our example. Jesus is in heaven right now, seated on a throne. And he's working through us to make the earth his footstool. Do you understand this? So justice in the earth is going to reign through you and I being activated through the Spirit of God working on the inside of us. And this is working from a place of rest. We're not warring against people here. Look at verse 19. He says, he will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. We're not going to shout at the devil. We're just going to simply put him under our feet by the things that we come into agreement with what we believe about what God has done. Listen, if Jesus conquered him, we've got to believe that, right? The belief of that will position us to begin to rule and reign wherever we, we tread our feet on this planet. Come on, the, the sphere that you're in right now is the sphere that God has given to you. Do you understand that? It's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. And we're progressively increasing in our capacity to steward the realms that God has placed us in. Come on, come on. This is good. And so he's putting his spirit on Jesus. He put his spirit on us, putting his spirit on us. Now, what if, what if you're in kind of a weak space a little bit? You're not so fired up right now. You're looking at Darren and Julie and whoever, and we're all fired up, which is amazing because three years ago I wasn't so fired up, you know? But I'm fired up now. And, and I, I, I pray just to continue this, this, this flame that's burning on the inside of me more and more and more. But, but Jesus says to you, he says, I will not crush, in verse 20, the weakest reed, or put out a flickering candle. This, there's, there's hope for you. You just stick around here long enough, you'll, you'll spark, trust me. You will, it'll be contagious. In fact, you won't even be able to help yourself. It's just gonna, it's gonna come on you. It's, 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 it's already game over. Just hang around a little bit, all right? And you'll reignite to what God has for you. We've seen it over the 15 years that we've been here. So many people, thousands literally, have come through this place that have been ignited for Jesus. And he will cause justice, look at this, to be what? Verse 20, back to verse 20. He will cause justice to be, come on, say this with me. Come on, shout it out. He will cause justice to what? Be victorious. Oh, that's amazing. And his name, the greatest name that's ever been spoken through all kinds of languages that one day every tongue will confess. The greatest name will be the hope of all the world. If you believe that, say amen. So leading up to Easter, we're going to see some history makers come forth that include ourselves. Can I get an amen? There, it's back. Okay. Um, we're going to look at an individual today by the name of Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Try and say that three times in tongues. Can I get an amen? All right, Ludwig von Zinzendorf. And he lived between 1700 and 1760 in Austria. And he was the founder of what we would know today. It's actually still around hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later of the Moravian Church. Now, when we moved down here, the reason, this is a very personal message for me today, teaching on history. Because when we first moved down here, we ran into some people with our little tribe um, that maybe was about 35 at the time. We were over in the forum, and then in that season we grew. But when people met us, this one person in particular, they said this, and I'll never forget it. They said, wow, you guys are just like the Moravians. And I was like, huh, who are the Moravians? You know what I mean? Like, who are those people? So 
you know, over the course of years, I've done some study on, on this, this movement that happened in the 1700s that as you listen to some of the story historically, you might catch and pick up on some things that, that in some ways we're about. But it's nothing, there's nothing new under the sun, guys. I mean, there's, God's been moving throughout all of human history since the time of Jesus up till now, even before Jesus. So God is, God is on the move. So here's this guy, Ludwig von Zinzendorf. And what I'm going to do with him, I'm going to show you just a little historical facts on his family, some more of his history, some spiritual components that shaped his life. Listen, you've got to take note of your own life. You've got to look at, like, man, where was I raised? What family was I brought up in? What were the, some of the circumstances that I had, you know, growing up as a child, maybe into my formative years, maybe into my young adult years, maybe, you know, jobs that we've held, people that we've worked for, people that we've known. All of this, whether you realize it or not, God is utilizing to shape you. Well, Darren, what about the bad things that happened? What about the difficult times? What about the challenging relationships? All of it. All of it. It's how good God is. He takes even what was meant to hurt you and he redemption puts redemption all over that. And he turns it for the good so that you look back and, man, there's, there's, there's maybe even a compassion that's on the inside of you because stuff that you've walked through when you meet other people, it's all intentional by the Lord. And so we're going to kind of see that in Ludwig's life just a little bit through his history, through some of his spiritual, you know, components that he was exposed to through a journey that shaped him. Now, he was born on May 26, 1700 into Austrian nobility. Now, nobility basically is a status group who has special privileges within society, okay? And, and, and it's still the same. There's still groups of people that have status. They have more, uh, you know, opportunities than other groups. It's a shame that it's the, it's the way that it is. But, but it, it was, this was true for, for Ludwig's life. And so for him, what's beautiful, and you'll see about his story, is he wanted to use that opportunity that God had placed him in to actually leverage it for the good of the kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. He wanted to leverage that opportunity that he had been given with these special privileges, and share that blessing with other people. Are we awake this morning? I know it's time change. Second weekend, baby. Come on, but let's roll. Here's the thing. Like, there are going to, listen, you may say, well, I, I'm not born into nobility. And that may be true. But listen, there's going to be grace and favor and privilege that God may give you that someone else in this room needs. That actually probably all of us in this room need. We are, we are leveraging the, the, the favor that gets put on our lives, not just for our own good, but for the greater good of everybody else. We should be some of the, the biggest collaborators on the planet because God is up to something collectively that we could never do together. If we take just the blessing that falls over us and don't leverage that for someone else's benefit, then what are we really doing? And this is what Ludwig was all about. So he's born into this family, this nobility. And the Zinzendorfs, this is so interesting, they were feudal lords. That's what, it, that's what the, the terminology is. Basically, they owned lands in what was known as the Wachau Valley along the Danube, Danube River in Lower Austria. It was a very beautiful part of the world, very beautiful area. And under these feudal lords were these feudal tenants. Now, this is important for you to, to grasp here. 
But they lived on these lands under the protection of the feudal lord, like Zinzendorf, like a Zinzendorf family member. And under their protection, these, these feudal tenants would give loyalty and homage to the, the feudal lords that, that, that owned the lands that they were living on. It's similar to, to what went on all across uh, the medieval period and, and then into what was called the modern period in much of Europe. You know, you see this in Scotland, for example. You have the Scottish clans, right? Like the Mackenzies, and the Mackenzies would own a particular portion of property within Scotland, and other people would live on that land and care for that land, and then they would find protection and covering under the feudal lord. Does that make sense? So this is what was going on with the Zinzendorf family. In fact, he had privilege at such a high level because actually one of his great-grandfathers, Emperor Maximilian, was an imperial count. Now, I don't know too much about counts. The only count that I know is Count Chocula. Can I get an amen? In fact, <laughs> Tanya Brasington knows. See, I was denied sweet cereal as a child, all right? You always overcorrect when you're in another extreme. I mean, I got Wheaties. I've got, I got cream of wheat. I mean, my mom, I, I had no sweets in any of my lunch snacks. And so now I'm all about it. Can I get a man? Count Chocula. Count Chocula. But Tanya actually brought a, bo- a box of uh, Count Chocula. Lucky Charms uh, over to our house that were just beautiful. It was, it was uh, such a gift, such an offering. Such an extension of love, you know? But he was a count in the Holy Roman Empire. Now, you got to understand, the Holy Roman I need just the battery replaced, and I don't know. Yeah, if I could get the battery replaced, that'd be awesome. So he was an imperial count, all right, under the Holy Roman Empire, which was a replacement, a successor to the Roman Empire of the Middle Ages, okay? So this is where, where he was at the time. And his great-grandfather sat on four benches of counts in Austria, which exercised fractional vote in the imperial rule of the empire. So there was this... Um, this collective governing, right, over, the, over this empire that was all over the majority of, of, of Europe at the time. And the Zinzendorf family was, was highly connected. Did you see that transition? Um, was highly connected in these, kind of a, in these kind of ways. Now, here's the deal with Zinzendorf. And this, I think this is like the majority of us. He had no plans whatsoever to found a religious organization. He was just in love with Jesus. In fact, if you're striving for the founding of a religious organization before just loving Jesus, man, we got our priorities all out of whack, right? If, you just, if we just love the Lord, there is no telling what God could do in and through us for the blessing of other people. Because we're called to go, right? We're called to go. We're called to be a blessing in this world. We're called to leverage our influence for the sake of the greater good. So Zinzendorf, along with his initial four friends, they called him this band of four brothers, Johann Andreas Rothi, Melchor Schaefer, Friedrich von Wadeville. 
They just simply wanted to cultivate this, what they called a revival of religion in order to preserve the, the warmth of their own personal trust in Jesus. So there was this desire, like, God, we want to see something happen. We want to we see a movement take place because they just wanted to preserve what God had done in their lives. I think we, you know, oftentimes we, we walk into to places like this and, and, and we come because we're like, man, what, what began in me was so real that I want to live like this forever. And I want to be around other people that have those same desires. Did you know what's really important, like, who you run with, who you surround yourself with, who you do life with. Because as we do, there'll be, there'll be grace to preserve in numbers the things that God started in us individually. And that's where these guys were at. Now, a little historical context, just so we can grasp what was going on in this man's life. He grew up in the latter part of the, what was called the early modern period from 1500 to 1800. And it was an incredible, it was two things. It was an incredible turbulent time with deconstruction and dissonance. You know, the fall of Constantinople was taking place during this time. There was the Protestant Reformation that was to come, French Revolution. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. You know, like, there's been other crazy times in human history besides ours. Did you guys know that? And that's where he found himself. But it was also a, a time of beauty. There was discovery and renaissance happening. It was it was around this time when Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? When was that? 1492, right? Right on the front end of this. So it was discovery. There was, man, there's new lands. There's new things. There's new, new places that we need to go to. There, there was modernity taking place. Philosophy was coming in. Diplomacy. Uh, educational reform. There, there, was, there was all kinds of stuff happening at the same time of all these trials and difficulties. So Ludwig and his friends found themselves in this transitionary period in human history. And spiritual stuff was really on the forefront of what was taking place. In fact, in the spiritual context that I want to give you during the early modern period, it was just proceeded, and most of you in this room are not going to know this, it, it was preceded by what was called the Bohemian Reformation, which began with a man by the name of John Huss and... John Wycliffe, sorry, anybody heard of the Wycliffe Bible? So you hold the Bible, but we don't know much about the man, okay? So this this was part of, of, of what was going on in this time period. And this is way before Luther and the Protestant Reformation. So Huss, who was this Czech theologian, he was, he was within the Catholic Church as a leader, and please hear me, I, I'm not throwing any stones at any denomination or movement or Catholicism or Protestantism. I'm just giving the history. But he was, he was within the Catholic Church, and he was advocating to the leadership of the Catholic Church for several things. Listen to these. He was advocating for lay people, meaning those that were not vocational ministers or Catholic priests, to be able to receive communion. He was advocating for these same believers to be able to celebrate Mass in their own language, because they would sit in these services in Latin and they wouldn't understand anything that was going on. He was advocating that priests would be given at least the option to marry if they wanted to. And for the church to eliminate the practice of indulgences, purgatory, and penance, which was basically paying people's way out of hell. 
Did you know he was burned at the stake in 1415 for these heretical views? Set on fire as a heretic for stuff that we would go, wow, that's so elementary in our maturity. Do you see how it's crazy, but God is always trying to mature the body of Christ. Always. Mature us. And after the the execution of Huss, John Wycliffe would continue on the work, and he was this theorist behind the ecclesiastical reform that Huss was given voice to. But as humans being humans, it broke out in war. People died for the cause of Jesus unnecessarily, unfortunately. And these war, this war lasted about three years, and there was a Moravian population that remained primarily Hussite. They, had the, they took on the name Hus, Hussite after John, John Huss that, that lived in um, this, this area of, of, of the Czech Republic um, for this 30-year period where people were being forced to convert back to Catholicism, many that had left the church. And if they didn't do it, they were being put to death. And so refugees, I'm bringing this home here this morning, refugees were fleeing from such areas where these early Protestant groups um, were, being, were being persecuted, such as the Unitus Fratum, which is Latin for unity of the brethren. And they were coming out of these times of great persecution. And um, Zinzendorf had just bought a whole plot of land from his grandmother, hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of acres, and he was offering asylum to these ones that were fleeing persecution. Do you see, do you see how God takes even the story of his family, where there's, there's maybe weird stuff as it relates to you know, being counts and being people of privilege and having people live under you and you lord over them and you glean from them. Here he, his heart is turned and he opens up his lands for free for these persecuted ones to come and live on this land. And then he took it a step further. He went ahead and declared his land to be an autonomous kingdom within the Holy Roman Empire for refugees fleeing from the religious persecution from the Bohemian Bohemian Revolution. I I like that. He took a stand. He said, listen, the injustice that's going on right now in governmental realities, like I'm going to separate myself from that and I'm going to care about people. And so he invited them into his lands. Many of the refugees came into this asylum through a man named Christian David, who was a German Lutheran missionary, worship leader, who would become the co-founder of what was to be Hernhut with Ludwig. Now, as these people began to gather on this property, they began to seek to recapture the practices and spirituality of the early church. Because around 300 AD, the church really lost its way. you got to go and study history. Up till then, they were thriving. They They were advancing the gospel literally to every single nation. There was health. And then there was some dysfunction that came in around 300 AD. And these guys were like, we got to get back to the basic roots 
of where this whole thing began. And they started to seek after it. I love this. They started a printing house, printing large quantities of Bibles and catechisms and hymnals and religious tracts. In fact, there was a book there that was published by Johann Arndt called True Christianity that greatly influenced Hernhut and sparked later that book, a revival in the Lutheran church. So what was happening on this little piece of land with these hundreds of individuals, it was, it was, it was giving language to what people were feeling in their heart, and then they were writing books about it. And as these books went out, it would spark revivals and different movements at the time as Protestantism got going with Lutheranism and, and uh, Presbyterianism and Methodism and all those different isms that started out of these movements. You know, so many people came in with so many different perspectives that a measure of disunity kind of fell into the move of God that was happening within their little tribe. <laughs> a lot of it was centered around like apocalyptic teaching, fanaticism. They, they'd really lost their hope of the future. And these guys were really convinced that what they were believing was actually going to come to pass. And here we are like hundreds of years later and nothing that they gave their energies to was of any matter. And they lost their way. So Zinzendorf came back. He was doing some work in Dresden. He was serving on a court commission. And he gave himself to reconciliation of the conflict. I know I just got a couple things I got to say here because this is really important. He began to visit each home for prayer. And then he called the people together for the study of the scriptures, and they, and they focused primarily on this. What do the scriptures have to say about what Christian looks like in the con Christianity looks like in the context of community? Hear me why this is so important. Like we can study all kinds of theology. But if we don't understand what it's like to just love God and that love of God be translated to other people in a functional way, we're going to miss the whole thing. And they started to lean into that. They were like, let's get together. Let's have dinner. Let's share a meal. Let's look into the Word of God, what it looks like to really be passionate followers of Jesus and how out of that passion to really love each other well. They, in fact, wrote this document that's still around today. It's called The Brotherly Agreement, a voluntary discipline of what it looks like to live in Christian community. It's still around to this day. That came out of that revival. The study and prayer resulted in reconciliation within the community, leading to a powerful spiritual renewal that hit Hernhut on the 13th of August, 1727, during a special communion service where they celebrated the blood that was spilled and the body that was broken out of this one called Jesus for the revival that he's longed to bring to the earth. And this experience marked the Moravians, and they refer to it this day as the Moravian Pentecost, and it marked the beginning of a new era of spiritual growth for Hernhut. Now, I want to just 
leave you with the sake of time some things that happened out of that revival. Number one, they became gospel-centric, meaning that they were all about the spiritual relationship between the believer and the saver, Savior, both emotionally and intellectually. It was heart and it was renewal of the mind. It was, it was all about identity. And then there were people that were, that were given to piety. Now, I looked up that term. It simply means that they lived out their faith with ardent devotion. It was all or nothing. They gave it all. They were like, if we're going in, we're not going halfway. We're going to give it all. And they were known for this. And they were communal. They met together in these things called bandons or small groups, and they would simply share a meal together and talk about Jesus and pray for one another. The Spirit of God would visit them in these homes. They had intimacy. But they were missional. They were committed to teaching others about the gospel. They gave themselves to worship and prayer, and it was foundational in their movement. In fact, a good majority of the hymns that were infused into the Protestant movement of Reformation were written by Moravian worship leaders. There were new songs that were being sung by them as they prayed together and as they worshiped together and began to tap into lyrics that were being sung in heaven and brought those things to the earth. They were going to leave inheritance. They became very ecumenical, meaning they had a high value to develop closer relationships and better understandings of other people and other denominations and put much effort to organic unity with these other groups. Oh, I love this one. They were given to equality. Crazy. 1700s, given to equality. They, 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 would, they would merge nobility with Native Americans, with slaveries, slaves. And all of these people were able to be fully elected into the highest levels of leadership within their church. Do you know the persecution they took for that? Women, men, slaves, free, American Indians. And lastly, they were entrepreneurial. When they would launch out new communities like the one in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, that's still there to this day. If you go see it, they bought land, they built houses, they developed businesses. All for the sake of influencing society and funding the gospel. In fact, I want to show you this, the Wachovia Tract that they bought in North Carolina, 400 square miles of land, was deeded, in other words, owned by, guess who? Jesus Christ. It's the only land in American history, study this up, that had Jesus Christ as the owner of the land. They did that intentionally because they said everything that we, all the ground that we take economically is his. And we're going to use it for the glorification of his name in the earth. Because when he walks into these kind of rooms... Everything begins to change. And what started with the simple hunger of the human heart resulted in the greatest worship, prayer, and missions movement in human history that preceded the Protestant Reformation that most people don't even know about. As we stand, I want to show you the Moravian motto that they gave themselves to. And it was this, 
Our lamb has conquered. Let us follow him. Can we just sing, when you walk into the room, can we just, just lift that up for a minute? Because I think that we need to understand that, that when we use language like that, we're talking, he's walking into the room of human history. He's not walking just into our bedroom, although that's where it begins. He's walking into the room of, of all that's going on in humanity right now. Well, Darren, there's all kinds of stuff happening in our culture. Just like Zinzendorf's day, it's, it's, there's, it's chaotic. Yes, but it's also creatively beautiful in the Lord, and it is a new era, literally, that I believe we're stepping into as believers in this hour. We've got to start thinking outside of the box. We've got to start looking at some of these values that even maybe the Moravians carried that we have in our hearts to measure, to a measure, but God wants to take to the next level. Lamb has conquered. Let us follow him. When you walk into the room, everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble at the light. That you bring, and when you walk into the room, every heart starts burning, and nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet and worship you. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna we're gonna sing that again, but I want you just to think about the reality. Close your eyes for just a minute. I want to say this over your heart about the reality that you were born. For such a time as this. And that the land, Lamb has conquered. And He wants you to follow Him. So when He walks into whatever room, we just sit there and we say, where are you going? What are you saying? What are you doing? And even now, God's going to speak to some of you about some things He wants you to do. But just in the moment, could you just sit and could you just listen? Could you just watch? Let's lift this up just before we 